Welcome to episode 221 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. In this episode, Alexander Crowther and Hallie Celine from the Howland Company's Casimir and Caroline. If you like the podcast, I hope that you'll leave a rating or comment on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your ratings and comments help new people find this show, or even better, if you know someone that you think will like the show, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I knew told me about them. So if you tell someone about Stageworthy, let me know about it. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. As I mentioned, my guests are Alexander Crowther and Hallie Celine, who play the title characters in the Howland Company's Casimir and Caroline, on now until February 9th at the Streetcar Crow's Nest in Toronto. What what is the what's the elevator pitch for Casimir and Caroline? Oh God! Yeah, what, that's a good one. That's the tough one. <laughs> is it is it a uh, is it a complicated show? Is it? Uh... No, the thing is, what I like to say about it is that it's complicated and not at all. Okay. <laughs> so it's complicated and not complicated at all. I would say it's set around um, an office party in Toronto, 2020, okay. on a Toronto rooftop somewhere. And uh, you meet this couple, Casimir and Caroline, and they immediately have a fight. And the play kind of unfolds as you watch them go on their journeys, kind of coming together and breaking apart again, and the people they meet both Mm. from the office and at the party, and you wonder whether they're going to get back together or not, and that's kind of the, the shell of it. Okay. Yeah, but the, like, large... The large picture of it is amongst all of that, it's kind of looking at, you know, how do you find uh, love and value in a world that is crumbling around you? There you go. That's a, I mean, <laughs> so I'd like to call it a tragic comedy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those are, those are some pretty valid questions just generally today. Yeah. yeah. Um, what, was the, what was the, why choose this play? Um, for this, this, this winter, this, this month, why, what, what was it about this play that, that demanded to be done and wanted to do now? We've, we've had quite a history with uh, the piece. Uh, uh, Hallie uh, went to uh, Mississauga UTM? Yeah, I went to the University of Toronto, Mississauga and Sheridan College Joint Program. And through that we had a professor of ours, Holger Syme, uh, who is... <laughs> An amazing scholar uh, and he was my professor uh, for Shakespeare he was uh, the head of the English and Drama Studies program at that location and we had been looking at this play Casimir and Caroline um, but the English translations it, it, it's written by Oma von Horvath it's written in 1932 and there had, weren't any really captivating English translations and it had never been done in North America before. So looking at it and chatting with with Holger about it, we were saying that the English translation that was available wasn't really didn't really have the sensitivities of both the humor that that Horvath uh, wrote with and uh, the acute sensibility of what he was trying to dissect of Germany and of the world at that time. And so we, in speaking with him, there was a lot of parallels with both what was going on in Germany at the time and in Canada and the world, I would say the world at large, at the time that we were looking at it. Um, so we decided that maybe the best thing to do would be uh, do a translation of it, a new translation of it, which uh, our professor Holger Syme did. He's uh, German, and he did a direct translation from the original German text. 
um, to be able to, and then we did a um, workshop production a workshop production with him where we did uh, improv uh, workshops and stuff to be able to fine-tune what the version of it would be now around the original scenes that around he had done scenes. from the uh, direct translation yeah because translation is difficult right like, yeah like when you read I remember when I was in theater school looking at Chekhov and people would be like, it's a comedy. And I'm like, you fucking hell it is. Like that is. That's not funny. I mean, it's Russian funny, but it's like, exactly. what are we, we're missing so much because somebody has just translated directly and not made it a play. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. it's good that you guys, I don't think that you can really just do a direct translation. No, and well, the, the and the direct translation. It was interesting because even Holger, while he was doing it, he was saying, you know, how do you, you know, Horvath was doing something so specific, and and specifically, he was commissioned to be to writing plays, to be writing those plays at that time to reflect the atmosphere in Germany at the moment, and to be able to, he was very adamant. Horvath was that the plays be about now, be mm -hmm. about their time. So both looking at the, you know, humor and references and, you know, the, the great pictures of what he was looking at in Germany then and then trying to translate it into now, you had to kind of go through and be like, okay, so Holger would look at it and say, what, what exactly is he trying to get at there? And then we would kind of chat and kind of work from there to be like, well, how does that translate to now? And what would that be? What would the equivalent of that be now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many people were involved at the beginning? Like at that stage when, when you were talking to, 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 to Holger about yeah. the, like how many people was, at that point were, were involved in the show? Well, I think Paolo, uh, Paolo and Holger kind of got the ball rolling. So Paolo is another, uh, is Paolo Santalucia, another company member. Mm -hmm. Um, who also was a classmate of yours, yeah. uh, and also a student of Holger's, mm -hmm. um, was also really interested in the play. And so I think it was the beginning conversations that they had together that mm -hmm. that kind of started the thing, and then he brought it to the company, uh, which was, uh, I guess this was about four and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. So that was around the time that uh, we started kind of working together. Did you have, um, did you have, was there a timeline for production yet, or was it just oh, like, no. let's see where, where yeah. we can take this? Yeah. I think at that point, uh, it, it was a time where we, we were kind of bringing all the ideas we could to the table. Mm -hmm. So the, the company started with uh, production of a show called 52 Pickup, uh, which incidentally is another kind of breakup play. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so we're coming full circle here. Yeah. Uh, but that was a f uh, show that we did at the Fringe, a uh, show by T.J. Daw and uh, Rita Bozzi. Mm -hmm. And uh, that show, we got, we got uh, some um, interest with that show. They were, it was a well-attended show. We got some buzz and, uh, and a bit of money to kind of start to think about, hey, what, what would we want to do if, now that this show's done? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so this was one of the projects that, uh, that was proposed. Yeah. Um, and at the beginning, I would say for sure, you know, as Alex was mentioning, we kind of, as a company, we came together with the desire to work together. We're not, we're an ensemble-based company. There's about 12, uh, 11, yeah, 12 it's of us-ish. broken social scene. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a group, a big group of us, and, and our main goal was just to work, work together, work, yeah. and and whether that be in a production or, or in workshops, uh, it was kind of open-ended. We mm -hmm. wanted to have a, a vessel to within which we could uh, just do and yeah. work together. So within that, we were looking for projects to, you know, adapt or workshop, that kind of thing. So that's why when Paolo and Holger were talking about this um, this show, Casimir and Caroline, we thought it was an excellent opportunity to really um, work on something new and uh, and and workshop a, a new piece that we could mm -hmm. put together as a company as well. And, and the, the show is uh, 10 people, so it's a large ensemble, and I think that's something that kind of has been 
uh, criteria for material that we have looked at in the past? What's something that as many people within the company uh, can be involved with? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was another reason why the play kind of stood out to us. Yeah, that could be hard to find at this, uh, like in, in independent theater, the, a lot of a lot of the plays that are being written now are max four people. Yeah. It's hard to find a, a large ensemble play. And so. usually two people too. Like yeah. so often yeah. it is two. Well, even our even the first show that we did, Fifty Two Pickup, it's originally written for two people, a couple. Right. And it was written with T.J. Don, Rita Bozzi, and they performed it. So when we were looking at it to do it, we just wanted to <laughs> put as many people in it as possible. <laughs> so we did four different, maybe maybe five, rotating different couples mm-hmm. that would rotate per night, per performance. So it wasn't just two people. It was two people in that performance that you saw. But if you came another night, it would be another two different people. And it would keep switching. I have to ask you about that. Oh, please. Did you, did, did you find that people came back multiple times? Yeah, we did see? have people come yeah. back. What was interesting is that the play itself is already set up to be something that... Something that... Um, you could come back to multiple times because there's 52 scenes and you would pick up each scene uh, per performance and it would change each night. The order would change each night. So you would go through all 52 scenes, every single show, but the order would be different. And you could say, oh, well, that wouldn't really be that big of a difference, but the scenes would vary from a three-page scene to one line, two lines. And really what the show was, was little snapshots, little moments that might not have tons of significance or have huge significance Mm -hmm. in a a relationship. Um, But those little moments that kind of stand up if you're reflecting on a relationship. So because of that, even just with the two people performing it, if you came back another time, if the scenes would fall in a different order, we would have audience members say like, oh, those two were meant to be. And then other times being like, oh, they, you know, they just weren't right for each other. Right. And it's the exact same play. Yeah. It never changed, but it was just the order with which it would come out. Mm-hmm. So you have that, add it with different people involved with it who would add their own sensibilities to it. It made it much more exciting for people to want to see it and to be able to see something that I think what we heard was, you know, kind of a universe, I don't know if you can say universal, but like a, a very relatable story of love yeah. that people could connect to no matter who was doing it and no matter how the cards fell that night. Mm. So people like coming back. Yeah. And we did it four times, so people kept coming back. <laughs> We did. We remounted it. Oh, okay. Four so times. outside of fringe. Do outside again. of fringe. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Wow. Well, that certainly shows you some demand for that. Yeah. Totally. Um, what do you guys connect with the most? Because the fifties pickup sounds like it's about connection yeah. in one in, in way. So, what do you guys connect most with uh, in uh, Casimir and Caroline? In terms of the play, character, play, character. whatever, oh whatever connect gosh. with. Um, uh, uh, means to you. Oh, so many things. <laughs> In one of our, our remounts to 52 Pickup, Hallie and I got to be a couple for the first time. Yeah, Alex so, and I play the title characters, Casimir and Caroline. Um, who are a couple sometimes at certain points of this play. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think I think the play looks at things that can happen within a relationship um, when people want different things um, and they don't necessarily know how to communicate that to each other. I think part of the journey of these two people over the course of the play is uh, how hard it is, how difficult it is uh, to understand where the other's coming from. Mm-hmm. So. I think there's there's stuff to there's there's stuff to connect with uh, in in life, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah, def- I mean, <laughs> the the story so much is is about, especially be- between the two characters, Casimir and Caroline. It's about what we want and 
and and um, and yeah, how we communicate and how challenging that can be sometimes to really communicate with the person who you love, which I believe that the two of them love each other quite a lot. Um, but what happens when you cannot communicate and you're not on the same level at, the, at that time? So the circumstances for the show is that Casimir has just lost his job and Caroline still has hers, obviously, and they're at the office party from which he just got laid off. Oh, awkward. Exactly. Very awkward. So, <laughs> so they're both kind of in different, you know, different parts of their, you know, lives. And I think the play really looks at a lot like, you know, whether people are good or bad or happy or sad when they're in a good place or when they're in the bad place. And is that just, you know, that's just life or is that circumstantial? Um, so you have these two characters that are in love, that are in a relationship, but are in these two very different points of their lives or circumstances. And then how does that affect their communication to each other and their love for each other? Because you were kind of looking forward to this party. Yeah, Caroline just really wants to go to the party and have fun and um, and just have a really lovely night. And Casimir is not really is in the mood. To... Not in the headspace to do that. Which is completely understandable. Yes, I mean, exactly. They really should have canceled his invitation because that is an awkward, awkward, awkward night. It's but, very awkward. Yeah. It's very awkward. And it quickly becomes like a kind of, you know, tit for tat, you know, that that's that exact observation is made by my character towards you. You know, why would, why would you ha ask me to come here? And then no. my, my response would be, would be, you know, though you're in, though you're in hard times, you can still go and dance and have a lovely night out and enjoy looking at the stars or the zeppelin that happens to fly by <laughs> and dance and go home and still have a lovely night so you know interpersonally the, that's kind of the thing that we're yeah. the main tension of that but it quickly spirals into bigger more relationship existentialism <laughs> as many arguments in relationships do yeah Arguing about one thing is like you arguing about everything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's... It starts to expand mm -hmm. from there. Yeah. And, and then, then I think that's kind of where the, the world around them starts to step in because mm -hmm. they both go on very different journeys throughout the course yeah. of the night um, based on what they want or what they think they want because mm -hmm. they're not getting it from the person that they're with so yeah they look for other paths to maybe get to get that and there's so many i mean in a room full of people there are always so many uh possible paths to take yeah alex one one of the things i noticed in your descriptions of what you guys connected to hallie was very emphatic about the fact that she believes that these two people are very much in love yeah and this is not something that, that, that you said nothing about. I'm curious. <laughs> um, and, and, what a Casimir. <laughs> how does, do you think that Casimir is very much in love with, 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 with Carolyn? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's interesting because I think at the beginning of the play would almost be the opposite mm -hmm. perceptions. I think he would be a little bit more emphatic about the fact that we're committed to each other, that we love each other, it's important that we say this, that we acknowledge that that is part of being a relation in a relationship. But whether that actually is being in love, uh, I think is one of the big questions. And one of the questions that he has to answer for himself throughout the course of the play. Um, I'm not going to ask you what the yeah. answer is. I think <laughs> yeah, that's right. something that, that an audience should experience. Yeah, with you. I, yeah. I guess that's why I'm a little hesitant to say what I think because I, I think part of this play is 
the audience wondering and discovering that alongside the characters. Yeah. But it almost sounds like, um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Carolyn is 100% certain about their relationship and Kessner may not be. Well, it's so interesting because I would say, I would say Caroline is completely feels that this is a solid relationship. They love each other. He's in a mood and Mm. it's, and he's always down and kind of bringing himself into this spiral. But at the end of the day, they're together. And it's so interesting because they have a fight right off in the top and they continue kind of coming together and trying to negotiate with each other and trying to figure out, you know, what each other wants. And right now (laughs) being inside of the character, I think that she thinks that they're fine and it's just a, and that the love is there and the love is true and that it's just, Uh um, and that it just needs a new day, you know? Mm -hmm. But the wonderful thing about a party that just crumbles and goes wrong is that the party never ends. You're just inside of it. (laughs) You're just inside of it. And so there isn't a new day and you have to try to figure everything out. And he wants everything to be figured out Mm -hmm. from that night. Um, And your journey through the play seems to take you and introduce you to new people. Yeah. Different people. Yeah. Uh, And I don't really get that. No, yeah, you're stuck with the same people quite a lot. Um, I mean, you meet two two new, (laughs) two ladies who, who, you know. But that could be, I mean, that could very much be an office party. Yeah. Where even though you, uh, Casimir, may have been laid off or, or fired, the same He's going to gravitate to the same people. And if Caroline doesn't know any of those people, she's got a whole wide open uh, field of people to meet. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it's so, uh, it's so interesting because specifically with an office party, there's a bunch of people that you know of, you know their position in the company, but you don't necessarily know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest but what was, what's interesting is that for that's where what Caroline's journey is. She keeps meeting new people, people who she knows of or doesn't know at all. Um, and she is trying to get to know throughout the night of the party. Whereas Casimir is there with his two friends who also, one works at the company and one does a lot of things that are specifically am, ambiguous. Um, but is with the people who he knows and who knows him. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting. The other thing is that Casimir, we, we've talked a lot about this with Paolo, our director, about Casimir just wants um, connection the whole time. He just mm-hmm. craves connection, and all he gets is like people kind of going mm-hmm. away from, from him, and Caroline just wants time to be alone and kind of reflect but there's constantly new people who are coming at her and filling up her space (laughs) and telling her how to feel wow yeah (laughs) well it's often um having been in an office situation when there's a mood that somebody's on their way out or like they're you become that person becomes toxic like Mm. you don't want to be around them or associated in case the fallout from them their exit falls on you mm-hmm. and so of course only a few people would want to be around well that's i'm sure that's certainly how he feels sure. i think at the beginning of this play and for most of this play i think mm. he uh, he feels like that is how people are seeing him yeah um and so i think he reacts accordingly which has an effect on the people around him yeah in a way that i think pushes maybe them further away if if he doesn't even even though that's not necessarily what he wants, that's that kind of is the effect of of how he thinks other people are thinking about him. Mm-hmm. That's often our, like in general, like that can be a real downfall for us. The thought that we think other people are having about us because we don't know and we project our own things onto them. Yeah, yeah. especially in in such an odd like circumstance as an office party you just have these people who you are just together by circumstance and so you just you don't know and also there's so much expectation with what how you want to be perceived or Mm -hmm. how you want to you know at your place of work and then how how it actually is being received 
uh, office parties. I'm I'm so excited about <laughs> this. I have I have watched so many um, uh, catering like uh, corporate parties that where there's this where money has been spent into these this you know office comes together for a holiday party or something and you know you can just feel the tension of these people who are with each other day in and day out but like don't really know each other and then as soon as the drink tickets start you know wearing thin and people have used them all up and things kind of progress and just seeing what the people come out of these like suits who have been there the whole time. I'm just yeah, you. You. I mean, uh, if you've worked catering, you mm-hmm. see, I work. I have a day job and I work in an office. Oh yeah. So when we have our like our holiday party. It's like we're seeing that from the other side. Mm-hmm. But I'm hyper aware of all of those things as they as they happen. But it's fascinating to hear about what the catering staff might see from the other side of the bar. Oh, it's fascinating. <laughs> it's fascinating. I've well, seen people who've organized organized the event, like go on this power trip on the microphone, like give someone a microphone, and then they're trying to force fun on yeah. their on their staff and like make people do a dance party. I've seen like uh, I've seen the people who get a little too drunk and then start like slowly kind of like taper off to the side and then yeah. some like questionable like Hookups yes. might might happen. Um, people trying to hit on the staff. I've seen like terrible, really cringeworthy um, speeches happen yeah. where you know that the company might not necessarily have the money they had last yes. year. Yeah. People might be being laid off. It's just Hallie. It's so what Hallie so is describing is kind of you could be describing. The play because mm-hmm. I feel like our ad- our adaptation really tries to capture as much of that environment as possible. Yeah, it's also kind of fascinating to do this play that's set at that in that sort of thing just after everyone has gone through uh, a month or more of of these kinds of parties yes. as we finish off the holiday season and we're into January. Everybody think if we've left those behind. You know, no. <laughs> they can watch something vicariously go terribly wrong. Exactly. They are the fly on the wall. They yeah. get to come and I like to think that you're like you're like the bar staff that's just behind the bar <laughs> like just behind the bar that is just watching from your perch of everything <laughs> unfold around you. And at times it's like it's been delightful what we were saying is that there's it's a ten person cast and we've been rehearsing in this, you know, tiny little space that's long but it doesn't have the kind of scope so you're just like watching it all happening Mm -hmm. and it's been wonderful seeing what all the different um cast members have done it's the show is a lot of little kind of vignettes that have just kind of like go in and out of each other Mm -hmm. so to watch these little characters in these little pockets and moments kind of to see what they what they're bringing they're just you laugh (laughs) you laugh you cringe and then, and then you feel a lot of feels. Yeah. There you go. There's the elevator pitch. There's the elevator pitch. You laugh, you cringe, you feel a lot of feels. Done. Yeah. Done. Um, I want to sort of move away from from this particular show for a second, and for a little bit, talk to you guys about um, your theater origin stories. Ooh. Like, where did you first encounter theater? How did it become the thing that you were going to do? In your life, what 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 brought you that? What brought you there? You were in Oliver, weren't you? I was in Oliver, but that was later in life. Oh, that was later in life. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were. So that was my so first. You, you thought, you thought that thing. she was like a a kid in Oliver. Okay. Yeah. Well, that that's. that's I think your that was, that was, Is that your origin story? Yeah. There's a lovely uh, community theater group in Schaumburg, Ontario, uh, where I grew up, and. Uh, yeah, that was the first. I think we rehearsed in the church basement. Uh, we performed on stage at the local Catholic elementary school. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I have a lot of, I think there's a lot of great memories of like, you know, being with a fun group of people. And there were a lot of older kids in the company too. And, uh, you know, you kind of look up to people like that. And you're like, oh, maybe someday I can be as good as them. 
so yeah, I think that's when the... Had you seen plays before that, or were you just sort of like thrust into this so. strange world without the exterior concept? Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think I'd seen any theater project. I started going to theater more when I was in high school. Okay. Um, oh, oh, and I guess trips to Stratford we did, uh, trips to Soul Pepper actually. Um, and then the first, well, the first play I saw was actually directed by Chris Abraham. No way. Yeah. But at, uh, they had this company in Newmarket, Ontario called Resurgence Theatre Company. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and I, it must have been shortly after uh, he, was, he was just coming out of NTS with a couple of his classmates. Uh, I mean, it was a fully professional production, but it was Twelfth Night, and I think Amy Rutherford was in it. And no way. Sean, Sean, not Sean Doyle. Um, Republic of Doyle, Alan Hocko. Alan, Alan Hocko. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and then that was pretty captivating. That was that. I still remember a lot of the images of that show and and getting excited about Shakespeare and stuff. So yeah, and then in, so community theater when I was a kid, and then in high school, kind of getting to see oh professional theater out in the world. Um, and then I went to the University of Windsor uh, and their BFA drama program, and then that kind of made things a little more real and uh, yeah and then um, but I did a little sojourn to the States uh, and got my MFA at the American Conservatory Theatre and that was another kind of step to see like oh okay living as a professional theatre actor uh, or just a professional actor what that means uh, and yeah so that's kind of the the whole yeah. path a couple of questions yeah um, <laughs> Going from like being introduced to sort of like uh, being in a show before seeing it, and then so having an early experience of being like on stage, and then in high school going to Stratford, where high school audiences are notoriously terrible. <clears throat> um, what was it like? What's it like sitting in an audience watching other people misbehave when you just want to watch the show, but you're their age? It's fascinating. Sometimes I, sometimes I feel like that is a part of the experience. <laughs> yeah, uh, it is. Uh, I think I saw Romeo and Juliet mm. in high school. I don't know which one that would have been. Maybe it was Graham Abbey and Claire Julian. Uh, but the "Wherefore Art Thou, Romeo?" Uh, got answered pretty quickly by a bunch of teenagers <laughs> in the. <laughs> In the corner of the festival theater shouting, no, he's right over there. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. Uh-huh. I kind of like, I mean, it's, it's a very disrespectful, but there's yes. a part of me that, that gets a little bit of a grin. Kind of I, don't, I don't mind when people are vocal at Shakespeare. Um, I've been in audiences when I was in theater school. We went to see Julius Caesar, and the kids were, like, whipping shit at the stage, oh, yeah. and I had to turn the house lights on, no. and it became unwatchable. That's brutal. I've been in shows where kids are like throwing paper clips and stuff. And so, was anybody doing that or was it just. No, no, no. Yeah, I I would draw the line at that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's. Yeah, I I don't know if I've ever seen a a theater piece, though, where something has been thrown at the stage. There's a scene in. You guys watch uh, Slings and Arrows? Yes. Mm -hmm. Season two, at the beginning of season two, when they're finishing off Hamlet. And they're doing it's like the end of thing. It's a school group in there, and they're all wincing because of the coins that are in there. Oh. Like that's that that was the company I was with doing Shakespeare, reacting, like trying to get through a Midsummer Night's Dream, <gasps> seeing that at Stratford. And, you know, that's it's it's miserable. No, that is brutal. Yeah. But people talking back to, I mean, I just did a show in the summer where, but it was a bunch of older patrons and they would just chat with you yeah. and just because you're right there and so they just start chatting you're like Joanne I can't I can't answer you right now I'm in the middle of the scene sometimes <laughs> like sometimes an audience being vocal can be a gift yes because right? if you can acknowledge them in the right way then everybody will be on your side it's delightful when you're doing a show that mm-hmm. that engages the audience yep. whether it is you know actually asking them to respond but just I I done it and Alex has as well work with Shakespeare Bash where mm-hmm. you are you know chatting with and yeah. you shoot directly into the eyes of 
of audience members you're including them um and so that can be a great gift when something like that happens mm-hmm. because you have the permission to be able to say well and you can kind of be a little cheeky and chat with them mm-hmm. and whatever if something like that comes up but when you're not when it's supposed <laughs> to be like well you're um, you don't exist out there really in hard. this world <laughs> but you're chatting with me and you just threw a water bottle what do i do that's that's a, that's a question yeah that's hard but at least Shakespeare gives you the opportunity to be talking to the audience. Yes. To give you those outs. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I'm always fascinated with the choices that people make uh, for their post-secondary uh, when they're going into theater. First off, um, had, you, had everybody around you already known, always known that theater was going to be your goal? Uh, no, I think it was much more uh, random and... and uh, not too strategic it kind of just a door would open another door would open and then it kind of fell out you turn around and you're like oh I've done this for a little while and now I'm here in this city this is strange and so did you make a choice to go to- <laughs> oh here I am an actor what <laughs> did you make a choice to go to, to, to Windsor uh, uh, there? yeah and that was probably I guess we did the uh, we did a series of or I did a series of auditions it was I wasn't there yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, For undergrad programs. And uh, that was, uh, yeah, that was the one that just, I was like, oh, I think we all sat in a big circle. Uh, One of those. Yeah, it just felt very... Like a big circle and everybody got up and did their audition piece and then... Well, I think we did that individually. But there was a point where there was a big circle and that appealed to me. (laughs) I don't know why. It felt friendly. Alex just became an actor because he loved big circles. Everybody says, every first thing I'd ever rehearse on, everybody had a circle. Because um, I, I had an audition when I was for theater school at the, uh, the Ryerson program where they made us do all of our audition yes. pieces in front of everybody. And I wanted to die. Yes. And you did you have to do the... I remember you had to do that play in a minute or five minutes or something. No. no oh, that's no. what we had to do for Ryerson. You had to do a whole play in a minute. And my favorite thing has been chatting with people after that, being like, oh, you auditioned for Ryerson too. Which play did you do in a minute or whatever? <laughs> what, play did, what play did you do? Oh, Lord. I did Hairspray. It was, uh... Did they assign you a play? Or no, no, you choose. And I, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Hairspray. What did you do? How did you do it? I am not going to tell you that. And I didn't get in. I think, so. that, I think, that, I think that is, you know, at your, your, your theater school audition, you should be able to put that in a box and leave it there and never bring it it's out like again. It's like a tiny little box that just, you know, keeps getting pushed farther and farther that's down. That's right. That's, that's where it belongs. I think, I think our next translation adaptation should be Hallie Celine. <laughs> adaptation of Hairspray no in one minute no because I already have a thing that I'm going to do which is Cats the one woman musical a site specific well, you can't show do in the that alley now. with real cats I can <laughs> it's very you top of mind you can make that movie anybody can do any goddamn thing exactly like there we go Holly, <laughs> um, your theater origin story how did you discover that you were going to do this thing well that's a perfect segue because the first show <laughs> that I saw was Cats where did you see it <laughs> I saw it in Montreal mm-hmm. And I was how old? I don't know. I think I was five, maybe six. I started acting and doing shows when I was seven, very young. And Cats was the first main thing that I had seen that I had clocked. And I was just like, this is amazing. Um, And then I proceeded to um, get the tape soundtrack and play it on repeat Mm -hmm. and um, perform the whole thing for my family. Um, Luckily, they didn't disown me. And uh, I kept doing it, but there was um, there was a really lovely community theater um, community. Really, there was a few companies where I grew up in the eastern townships in Quebec, and uh, I started doing shows with them. And the first show I did was uh, the Owl and the Pussycat, an adaptation of that for the stage. I was a bat and a jumbly. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, and I don't think I had any lines, but it was my favorite thing. And they did they had a, an arts camp that they would host as well that I started going to. And then I was just hooked. I kept doing shows every single year uh, with either that company or a few of the other ones. And that we didn't really do much at my high school. I just mostly did it through that community theater and. What I loved about it was that there were 
there were actors of all ages involved. It was very popular when I when I started, especially. And I loved I I, I loved the way that they approached the the plays that we were doing because they were very, to my mind, they were very professional and thorough and a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So looking at that and seeing people approach the work that way, I was like, this is what I want to do. And then I proceeded to just do that. (laughs) Was your family ever ever concerned about your choice to go to theater? I am very, very, very lucky that my mom and my dad absolutely never questioned Mm -hmm. me wanting to do this. <laughs> I mean, we've had chats throughout the years of 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 you know life and questions about life, but but no, they they always they're very supportive and they know that I love it. They know that I'm passionate about it, and they um, are huge supporters of mine, which is lovely. The rest of my family sometimes I have to describe you know why I do what I do. Um, but what has yeah. been super exciting is that, you know my whole family lives in Quebec. Nobody lives here, and it has been really exciting, especially because I do a lot of theater. Um, I've been like slowly getting different parts of my family to come see the shows that I'm in, mm-hmm. especially the ones that I'm producing, and when you can't be like, well, I'm on that Murdoch Mysteries episode, but yes. they actually come to see the the shows. Uh, it's been really exciting and rewarding to get them to see what I do and have those conversations mm-hmm. for them to understand that there is more theater out there than just um, cats. Than just cats, <laughs> exactly. But you know, one day I'll just perform my one-woman musical for them, and they'll be satisfied. There you go. <laughs> um, did you make a choice? Did you go to post-secondary? Or did you just? I did. Where did you go? Yeah. So. Oh, you um, went to. Did you go somewhere other than the the, the UTS? So, so I, um, in Quebec, you have to do a, uh, a CEGEP, which is like a college diploma as well. After mm-hmm. high school, you finish high school in grade 11. So for that, I did, um, I didn't do acting. I did cinema video communications, which was amazing mm-hmm. to get a better sense of the, the world, like kind of out on the other side of the camera and that kind of thing. Um, but I knew I always wanted to do, uh, theater specifically so for after that I went to University of Toronto Mississauga and Sheridan College it's a joint program there it's a bonkers program that is essentially six years pressed into four years so you do an honors bachelor of arts and a professional acting diploma in four years so it's very demanding (laughs) but I loved it it's everything that I wanted I wanted I I can't imagine you know, I think time and space and breath within the within the um, the program would be so useful as well. But you get kind of like this compact, rich program of of you know life lessons, uh, learning about you know theater history, learning about psychology, learning about English, learning about all of the things of the world that I think is so necessary for being an actor as well, as well as the acting, professional acting credits as well. So, and you do so many things. A lot of the people in your program uh, are are people you're still working with. Yeah. The great thing about the company is that, uh, about the program, uh, is that you do a lot of, um, I wouldn't say producing, but a lot of self-generated work so you had to do there's a collective that you do in third year the program has since shifted a bit but at at the time that I was there you have to do a collective you have to adapt a piece of writing into a collective uh, play and then you also do a one-person show which is 15 minutes long that you direct adapt act in and do all those things as well so because of that and as uh, amongst that as well, you also have to take uh, set classes, uh, costume, props, all those things. So because of that, it kind of left pushed us out into the world as a collective of artists who um, are drawn to doing a bazillion things. Mm-hmm. And so we said, you know, why don't we create a company so we can do all these things together? And, and how, long, uh, how long company started... Uh, what, did it start with 52 Pickup? What did it start? It started before that. It was a group of us who kind of came together 
Um, originally, it was I would say the main people who had kind of chatted was uh, Paolo Santalucia, James Graham, and Ruth Goodwin, who had kind of chatted together about, um, you know, I want to get together and and start reading plays. James Graham had, had kind of wanted to start doing that initiative. Amongst all of that, we had connections to each of those people, and we had all been having those conversations of, I just kind of want to do more. I just want to work with people more and get to know artists of my generation more and all this stuff. And so with that, we kind of pulled from our, you know, peer group and met together and, and just said, hey, do you guys want to get together and read plays and, and do workshops together? And that's kind of how we started. Yeah, that's, that's been a thread through, <clears throat> through the past few years is, uh, uh, play readings. We we have a series called the Reading Group where we uh, pick a play a month. Uh, right now we're at the Gladstone. The, I think it's the last Monday of every month. Last Monday of every month, yeah. Uh, at seven, it's a it's an invite to anyone who is interested uh, in play in reading plays and or even just listening to plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an open invite uh, to come read a chosen play um, together. That's uh, great. And it's free. And that's kind of how we started, like we just started reading a bunch of stuff together and getting ideas and, and uh, then eventually we stumbled upon 52 Pickup. I think Ruth found, mm-hmm. Ruth found 52 Pickup. Yeah. And we uh, said, why don't we, why don't we doable. do a show together now? Yeah. Um, yeah. The, um, the biggest thing I think for, for us was, you know, and I feel like it's, I'm felt with all artists, but especially artists, younger generation who are coming out of theater school. What do you do in that time when you, when you're waiting? You know, that feels like so much is either waiting or inaccessible to you because are you getting in those audition rooms? Are you, you know, are you, do you have the money to do those workshops or whatever? So for us, it was just trying to create a container with which we could still work yeah. in those in-between times and then it has since grown from that to create a container where we can create work for ourselves and then through that create a container with which we can create opportunities to help other artists like us do stuff yeah. while in the in-between and get to know each other and then also create space for them to audition and be in shows so just trying to create more space for, uh, for that kind of stuff to happen. Yeah. It's so interesting the way the industry has changed. When I was yeah. in theater school many, many, many years ago, um, they would basically tell us that they made, basically if you weren't doing theater full time or working towards it, you would fail. And they would say things like, you know, maybe if you, if you, if, if, you know, actually doesn't work out, you could do a show in the fringe or something. Yeah. You know, and it was like that's what people did who couldn't like succeed. And now it's essential to make your own work. Yeah, I think it's healthier to at least understand. Now more and more people have an understanding of what goes into creating a show. Yeah. Um, but to go from don't make your own work because that means you failed to you have to because how else are people going to see you mm-hmm. is a complete change but I think are really important yeah that's so interesting I mean I feel like you know we we know there's all these like awful stigmas that that come around being an actor and being an artist and 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 I think and especially what we're finding but you know the industry changes but stuff that kind of seeds from theater school of like if you don't do this you've failed mm-hmm. if you don't do if you're not doing this then you'll never do it if you you know and and just you know, trying to break away those th- that assumption that yeah. if you're not this, then you're a failure. Yeah. That's just not how that's just not how it works, no. and it's also not a healthy way to be an an artist no. <laughs> in your life. You no. know, because if you're attaching failure to whether or not you're getting an audition, I mean, the reality of how many auditions are out there. Is not does not cor- like is not a yeah. is not a correlation. Yeah, yeah. You know? So how do you how do you define your success and, and how how do you want to spend your time as an actor? You know? I think it's important that 
and I think people are starting to get there, where um, your career in the arts gets to look how you want it to look, rather than how somebody else says that it should look from theater school, because that's how it looks to them. <laughs> and now I think we have more freedom to be, back, in, back when I was in theater school, it was like, don't let anybody know that you do anything other than act. And now I, now people are, I'm a stage, uh, stage manager, actor, I'm a, a playwright actor, I'm a stage combat choreographer, actor. Like there's all these hyphens in, in, in people's roles that they're very proud of, and I think that's, <clears throat> gives a bit more freedom to what we can be. Mm -hmm. It's also really lovely because it gives people agency over their own, mm -hmm. over their own time and careers as well, yeah. which is exciting. Now, as we are about to sort of start wrapping up, um, you mentioned before we started recording that you guys are getting, like, tonight as we record this is like your first time getting everybody together in space. Yeah. Which is super exciting. Yeah. And you guys open, like, a week from? Yeah. As we record this? A week from today. E a week from tomorrow. Oh, okay. But, yeah. we, but we have our first performance, public performance, Tuesday. A week from yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so how? Coming soon. As you are, as you're sort of like getting ready to, to put this thing up, how are you feeling? What are you most looking forward to about having people see this show? I'm so excited for people to come and see it. I'm so excited. What's, what I I'm so excited because it's. <laughs> Again, it's complicated, but it's not complicated at all. So the most frustrating thing about this show is trying to describe it to people because mm -hmm. it's such an experience and it's such something that you just need to come and take in that like, I'm craving that next part of, I mean, right now it's our next part of the process, which is in the space with the set, which mm -hmm. is going to be so exciting. There's a bunch of balloons. It's <laughs> gonna be really fun. Um, and there's popsicles and there's all these fun things. Um, but then the real like next step is to get that audience in mm. because they're going to be a whole other beast in this wild party. Yeah. <laughs> they really are. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so excited for them to come see it. That's cool. And I'm, I'm really curious to see what people, what people take out of it. Cause mm. there's lots to, lots to dig into. Alexander, what are you most looking forward to? Uh, well, I've spent the last few days talking a little bit about the different hats we wear. Uh, just helping get see the set come together mm -hmm. was really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, going out to Home Depot with Ken McKenzie and <laughs> seeing him like pick out like this sheet of wood and like that color of paint. And I guess I being on the producing side, one of being able to see all the different parts that make up a show mm -hmm. is really cool. And to be light walking today with Jareth Lee, who's doing our lighting design and who's also a company member. Uh, and, and to, I guess tonight to have all the actors join us and see all that work kind of mm -hmm. come together is exciting. And I'm looking forward to that. Awesome. And uh, it opens uh, Thursday. The date is Thursday, January 16th at 8 PM. At Crow's Theater. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, you guys. Oh, thank, thank you, you very much, Phil. Appreciate it. This has been a Homebody Productions production.